This is Scott Becker with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. Thrilled today to visit with Claudia Eisenman. Claudia is the CEO of Two Deaconess Hospitals. She's going to talk to us about those hospitals, points of pride, advice for leaders, top priorities today, what she's seen with COVID, and a little bit more. Claudia, can you take a moment to introduce yourself? Absolutely. First of all, thanks for having me, Scott. And for those of you who are listening, my name is Claudia Eisenman. I'm a a fellow of the American College of Healthcare Executives. I've been running hospitals for um, probably longer than I I care to recall. And I've got the good fortune of working with the Deaconess Health System, which is based in Evansville, Indiana, and running uh, two of their hospitals, one in Union County, Kentucky, and the other one up in Gibson County, Indiana. So my focus and kind of specialty area after having been in uh, tertiary hospitals and community hospitals of various sizes and so forth is, is really coming back to my first love, which is really rural health care. And so um, I'm, I'm happy to be uh, able to talk about that today and talk about some of the points of pride of the hospitals that I work with. And, and, and take a moment on both the state of rural health care today in America. It seems like really a, a, a tale of two different stories, some rural health centers doing great, some really struggling, all of them being besieged with COVID and not enough staff, um, and, and great staff doing the best they can. Talk to us a little bit about what you're seeing with rural health care and with COVID currently. Yeah, you know, uh, rural health care goes through these, these um, I guess I could call it periods in time where, where they are tremendously uh, under siege, rural hospitals. I mean, if you go back to BBA, uh, you, you know, the reason that the Balanced Budget Act created the critical access hospital is because there was a flurry of hospital closures at that time. So, you know, we're, we're kind of back in the last 10 years, we've been back in that flurry again. And I think there are, there are a whole lot of reasons why that's happening. It's complicated. It's there's not just one thing. You, you still have 20% of the population in America that lives in rural areas and loves rural areas, but you have seen a steady out-migration from rural space to more metropolitan urban locations. And, you know, so that out-migration has driven volumes down at those hospitals. And, and whether you're a critical access hospital, whether you're a PPS hospital, uh, small hospital, big hospital, you still have to have volume to survive. So, you know, that is one of the market forces, which which I think has created some real challenges for critical access hospitals. I, I think that there are other there are other things in play, you know, reimbursement changes, sequestration, uh, you know, hurt these small hospitals disproportionately because they were on very, very thin margins anyway. Um, uh, you know, trying to get medical staff members to come into these smaller places. That's been a real challenge. You don't have a doctor, you don't really have a hospital. So, you know, I think it's been it's been multifactorial and, and uh, you know, there's got to be some other grassroots efforts, I think, to try to retain the, the strength of these hospitals in these communities. So hopefully it's some point down the road, we'll see some legislative initiatives. But uh, to your point, COVID has certainly amplified some of the challenges that we've seen out in rural America. Uh, I mean, even in my marketplace where um, our hospitals joined a, a larger system this year, the hospitals that I run, uh, because they were both independent in in uh, 2019, and now they're not. So we have more resources, and I think that that has really been a, a, a strengthening factor for us. But uh, the truth is, uh, you know, we are dealing with unprecedented surges. 
we're trying to determine which patients should be transferred to the tertiary cares and so on, which patients we can take care of locally. And as those tertiaries fill up, it creates a backlog. It's very tough to transfer those patients out. And, you know, there's no real small rural hospital uh, or most rural hospitals even that are, you know, medium size that have the types of technology uh, that when a patient begins to decompensate with COVID, get, that they can be appropriately cared for. So, you know, that and then uh, concerns over the health and well-being of our own staff and, and keeping them safe in this environment. I mean, these are these are all unprecedented challenges that I think are uh, weighing very heavily on the minds of every CEO in rural health care today. Very, very challenging. And you're absolutely right. There's not enough technology, not enough people, not enough resources who and, and, and the people that are doing this are doing a magnificent job, just not enough of them, truly. And, and it, it is a time like this where you're happy to be part of a larger organization where you've got some of the resources for PPE and other things that you might not otherwise have. Talk for a moment about your two hospitals and a couple points of pride that you have in those hospitals. Um, I, I'd love to. First of all, let's start with um, the hospital up in uh, Gibson County, Indiana. That's Princeton, Indiana. <clears throat> it is a 25-bed uh, critical access hospital. It's been critical access for, for a long, long time. Um, you know, there are a number of things going on up there. I mean, as it relates to COVID, we very quickly stood up. Uh, you know, COVID testing in that marketplace, we do about 100 tests a day out of that hospital. And uh, we have an extraordinary staff. I mean, one of the things that at the hospital in um, at Gibson, Deaconess Gibson Hospital, that is a huge, uh, huge source of pride is the strength of that board, you know, and the medical staff. We have a very, very devoted um, medical staff up there, very devoted and, and um, highly engaged board. And, you know, in, in rural health care, it's not easy to get that. So, you know, those individuals really kind of help set the tone and the culture for the organization and, and have helped us grow and really were keys in making the decision to affiliate, uh, you know, our ownership with the Deaconess Health System. So, uh, you know, the other thing I would say about both hospitals is we have an extraordinary group of staff members at both places. They're very dedicated to their communities. They're dedicated to the people they serve. They never complain, even though they're going through tremendous strain uh, as we're taking care of COVID patients and, and putting them at risk. So they're, they're just exceptional, and their, their character shows at a time like this. The other thing, Gibson, we've done some renovations up there. Uh, you know, I mean, the business doesn't stop just because you're in, in COVID. So we had plans to renovate our pharmacy. Uh, we revamped our kind of whole wound, wound care program and center and, and rebooted that and opened it. Um, we, we've also done some, some other things to, to just expand our rehab space. We would have inpatient rehab space segregated kind of from the outpatient rehab space. So all of those things are, are sources of, of pride there. Uh, down in, in Union County, this hospital, uh, Deaconess Union, hospital, Union County Hospital is in a, uh, Morganfield, Kentucky. And we've got a brand new emergency department that we opened in 2020. 
we're we're uh, really standing up a lot of new programs down here. Uh, this 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 hospital had languished for a period of time, and with our affiliation with Deaconess and the ownership change, I mean they've committed a lot of resources here, and and um, you know we've been reopening lots of of service lines to include wound care, infusion, cardiopulmonary rehab. Uh, we're adding surgical service line days, et cetera. So you know, and again, tremendous tremendous support from the community and uh, tremendous dedication out of our staff people in both of these places. Claudia, take one moment on your leadership journey. Was there a pivotal moment where you, in your career where you saw yourself and said, hey, I can do this. I can be a leader at the highest level, be a CEO of a hospital. Was there any point of software or any pivotal moment that led you to a high level of confidence and to accelerate your growth? That is really a great question, and and I would say that probably the key moment or the starting point on my journey in healthcare leadership was I was living in Southeast Texas at the time, and I was involved in Rotary Club, and I was working in another industry. It was still a health and human service related industry, uh, but it wasn't healthcare. And I got to know uh, a man by the name of uh, David Holly, and David talked to me, and he said, "You you need to be in healthcare." He said, you know, Claudia, this is this is a place where I can tell, you know, you really could bring your leadership style and your skill set and make a real difference. And in a, it, that w- that that um, confidence from him and that encouragement from him uh, is really what kind of ultimately led me down this path. So that really was the starting point. And and then, you know, secondary to that, obviously, there were a lot of other things on that journey that I needed to do. You know, I needed to get my MBA and I needed to learn uh, about healthcare and, and so on. And I had the opportunity to do that. But, you know, I think uh, for any emerging leader, and any person that is in a leadership position now, it's critically important um, that you know you're 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 connecting with other individuals who can encourage you. And and as as leaders now, I mean, we need to identify people who we think are at that uh, next level of readiness on their own career path, and really, really ignite that optimism in them in themselves, so that they can move forward. And so that is a leadership skill, that encouragement of people, that reaching out to people and saying, you've got this talent, you ought to make something great of yourself, and you could do it in this way, is such an important part of leadership, isn't it? It's absolutely – it is absolutely fundamental. And, you know, it's probably the thing that I – that I latch on to as a leader when I'm going through tough times or challenging times and, you know, everything seems to kind of be going wrong and I need to reach down deep and pull out that last ounce of determination to kind of power through something. The thing that I look to are the people that I have been able to encourage on their own leadership journey along the way. Those are the people that become the bright lights. So, you know, I think that it's important for everybody to understand that the person that you encourage later on becomes the inspiration for you. So there, there's, it's just so critical that we identify people and we help them to take those steps uh, along their journey because that is the future. Magnificent. Claudia, let me ask you a question. 
one more piece of advice for emerging leaders or two, a couple of pieces of advice that you would give to emerging leaders along these lines. What else would you tell emerging leaders? I, I think there's a couple of things. First of all, um, let somebody know that you want more responsibility. I mean, that sounds so obvious, but Scott, it doesn't always happen. So, you know, maybe you don't have a, a leader that's out there looking all the time to find out, uh, you know, who the next emerging person is. Go and tell that person, say, hey, listen, I, I just want you to know that I want more responsibility. I'm willing to learn and I'm willing to work really hard uh, to get to that next level. So, so don't be reluctant to do that. And then, of course, back it up. You know, if somebody says, okay, well, I'll assign you a project or I'll do something, you know, that kind of exposes you to a higher level of, of responsibility, work hard. You know, you've got to, you've got to be able to validate this by having a, a high level of energy, uh, a strong work ethic, et cetera. So, so that's number one. Number two, make sure uh, that you take care, you check all the boxes. Uh, take care of those gateway credentials, as I call them. So if if your path is you want to be a CEO uh, one day, then you know what? If you don't have your MBA or your MHA or a master's degree in business or healthcare in, in some way, you need to get started on that because increasingly that is a gateway degree to get to the next level. If there are other credentials, you know, I happen to be a fellow of the American College of Healthcare Executives. You know, if you read job postings and that kind of thing, sometimes you see various credentials that are required, whether it's that one or something else. So know what those gateway credentials are supposed to be and start working on them now if, if you don't already have them. And, and then third, I would say this, um, you know, be, an, be a balanced optimist. So if you're a leader in healthcare, we are all paid to identify um, opportunities. We're, we're paid to, to find things that uh, maybe aren't working quite as well as we would like and, and figuring out how to strengthen those weak areas in the organizations or people or whatever. But also have this incredible belief that you can make a difference and that you can make a difference by working with teams of other people because that that optimism, that light, is what will help you to establish relationships. It will help give you energy when you're tired. Uh, it will encourage other people to follow you. And, and it will also keep you in the game working harder, learning more, and continuing to build your craft as you go. So, you know, it's, it's, it's key because you have to be good at what you do. That's tactical. But you also have to have relationships. You need both things in order to ascend the leadership ladder and be effective, particularly in healthcare, because this is not a business like any other business. It is a lifestyle, and it is a deep commitment that we make to our communities. So all of those things are, are incredibly important. So, so just magnificent, Claudia. You, you, you have to ask for responsibility. When you get the responsibility, you've got to follow up aggressively and do the job very well. You've got to know your gateway credentials. You've got to pursue them as part of learning and getting yourself in the right position for leadership. Uh, and, and you've got to embrace this as a lifestyle. This is a life. It's a calling. It's a passion. Um, one of the things I heard you say, which I'm so impressed by, and it's, it's a small thing, but you've noted a couple times the, the fellow of the American College of Healthcare Executives. I mean, it's a real tribute to the American College and to yourself 
the way that people look at this, it's so important to sort of just really making the effort to be a great professional in the education and fellowship and community that comes with that. It's a real tribute to the American College of Healthcare Executives and, and, and a well-deserved one. And, and I love to hear you tout it like that, so just as an aside. Claudia, I want to thank you for joining the Becker's Healthcare Podcast today. Just a remarkable pleasure to visit with you. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for having me, Scott.